You're listening to the Type 1 Run Podcast. Leave no ones behind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 18 of the Type 1 Run Podcast. I'm your host as always, John Fody. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Lizzie Kurowski, the Type 1 Run St. Louis chapter leader who just this past weekend ran the Nashville Full Marathon 26.2. I believe it was her first marathon, so which I think we can also say it's her PR. So huge shout out to Lizzie. Congratulations. I think she also raised a bunch of money for JDRF in the process. So huge shout out. Congrats. So to introduce today's guest, this week I was fortunate to speak with diabetes and sport medical expert Charlotte Hayes with Team Nova Nordisk. Charlotte is the Director of Research and Education for the team and has a deep history in certified diabetes education. We talk a lot about how she defines success in diabetes management for type 1 athletes, her insight and experiences on exercise and how it affects diabetes um, that was just really absolutely incredible to hear her insight and perspective on that and actually immediately helped me refocus some of the aspects of my own medical care that I've been kind of wanting to improve on. So that was really awesome. I also got some insight on what exactly happens when a non-diabetic wears a CGM. And that was super interesting. And without further ado, here's my interview with Charlotte Hayes. Where, uh, where, where are you calling from today? I'm in Atlanta. So we're not that far away, but in yeah. different time zones. So yeah, we get down to um, Dustin areas, kind of a a big Atlanta getaway for getting down there on the Panhandle. Yeah. And so what's the what's the Atlanta headquarters like? And then why? Like, do you is it a requirement to be in that area, or is it just like how did Atlanta come? You know, because you see a lot of teams yeah, so, and companies, you know, headquartered all over the world. But yeah, why Atlanta? Actually- that's a really good question. Well, um, our founder and CEO, Phil Sutherland, um, is, is a University of Georgia graduate. Mm-hmm. And um, after graduation, he, he landed in Atlanta, I think. And so um, that's, that's the base. And that's um, Team Nova Nordisk being a, a U.S.-based um, professional cycling team. Yeah. So, I guess um, that makes perfect sense. Re- yeah. So it's it's not a requirement to live in Atlanta um, with a professional cycling team. We're global, so um, a lot of people live in Europe. A lot of our riders are from Europe, and um, so so we are global. But um, it's definitely helpful to be able to be in the home base, um, working out of the office. Yeah, yeah. Like if you go on the Team Nova Nordisk site, it references you as the director of research and education, yeah. and then uh, you know it's got. You know, double MSC, MS, RD, CD. But yeah. So you find out I'm not a nurse. Who calls me the team nurse? <laughs> I don't I want to say. it. That might be on me. It might have been that yeah. I asked um, yeah. the HR or like the PR rep if I could speak to the team nurse. And they were like, well, yeah. and I got kind of like redirected. Yeah. To- yeah. So my background is um, I do have a, a master of medical science degree from Emory mm-hmm. um, in nutrition. And I have um, a master of science degree in exercise physiology from University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. And I'm a certified diabetes educator, and that comes through a lot of career experience. So I am not a nurse at all. But um, I guess people get confused sometimes because we we multitask and being kind of a multidimensional person. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see how it might get confusing. Well, I'd love to get as much of your bio as I can now, because for some reason you, you are like one of the few people that doesn't have a bio on the site. And if you, 
Google Charlotte Hayes. Turns out it will not lead you to you. It takes you to a Wikipedia article of a brothel owner who died in 1813. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. That's certainly not you. Yeah. So my LinkedIn profile is probably the best thing to look at (laughs) in terms of bio. Um, So you didn't own a brothel in early Georgian London? No. Yeah, that makes sense. That wasn't me. And then somewhere (laughs) there was an author who was a Charlotte Hayes. I I found this out too. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. There's... You're like your name's pretty popular. Let's see, there's an actor, um, a bunch of other professionals that have LinkedIn accounts too. But yeah, yeah so I'm avoiding the question. But why, why see, why become a diabetes educator? Like, what, what got you into, you know, working with type ones or working in, you know, diabetes? diabetes. Yeah, like how yeah. I'm kind of building up, but ultimately I kind of want to know the story of like how you yeah. ended up being yeah. the quote unquote team nurse for Nova Nordisk. And Nova Nordisk team nurse for not being a nurse. Yeah. So um, I, um, I, I've always been interested in nutrition and health and wellness um, and exercise. And so thus my degrees. But when I was doing my master's degree and an internship in nutrition at Emory, um, there was a really, um, a really strong endocrinologist there, Paul Davidson, who um, had a, a diabetes program. And this was a weekend program where people who were fairly newly diagnosed and learning how to cope actually came, checked into kind of an outpatient clinic and stayed at Emory for, um, from Friday till Sunday or Monday and went through a lot of education, um, about nutrition, exercise, insulin management, blood glucose meters were fairly new at that time. So glucose monitoring, all of those things that we kind of teach as a core to diabetes self-management education and support now. Mm -hmm. But the one piece that I really, really was so um, inspired by was the exercise piece of, of what exercise does in terms of glucose that the weekend that I was part of that um, that training in the diabetes program, I followed a, a a boy who was twelve or fourteen age, and he he was newly diagnosed, so he was there with his parents. And part of this training was um, having everybody go walk on a treadmill or run on a treadmill. In his case, I guess, and tested glucose with a finger stick glucose meter before and after exercising. It was just it was his glucose dropped so much in just like 20 minutes of Mm -hmm. time on, on the treadmill. Um, at that point I didn't clearly understand why, and I don't think probably anyone did to the level that we do today. Um, but it was that intersection of, of insulin and, and exercise, um, that brought a glucose that was fairly high down to, um, more of a normal range. So, Yeah. So that was probably why, um, and then also being really interested in lifestyle and being inspired to see what, um, you know, inspire people to, to be healthy and well and do the things they can to, to really live a positive life. What's funny is that right after I was diagnosed, mm-hmm. Team No Nordis was really like one of the first things that I found. Like it's kind of easy to find on the internet and yep. it's easy to relate to, you know, a team yeah. of type ones that are out there, you know, accomplishing yeah. athletic feats, not mm-hmm. letting it hold them back. But 
when is the first time you heard of Team No Nordisk? And like, what was your connection? And like, how did you get in? You know, it's yeah. such a, an important role. Okay. Okay. So um, I've done um, a fair amount of association work um, within um, a specialty practice group of um, dietitians, nutritionists called Diabetes Care and Education, DPG. And then I've been involved in the American Association of Diabetes Educators and AEDE. But somehow in that path of leadership, um, I was introduced to Phil um, as he was just um, emerging in the diabetes community and, um, you know, getting to know um, industry people and getting his message out about the team and his vision for what the team could be. So um, I, I, you know, I've known Phil for quite a while, but it really came from that diabetes, um, you know, kind of national and more global network that I got to know him. Um, and here he was also here in Atlanta. So um, over the years, I've had other jobs, but I would periodically, you know, check base with him and talk to him about things that he was doing in, in exercise and in, in diabetes um, and then when the team, Team Novo Nordisk um, Evolution, um, he and his physician, Bruce Bodie, reached out to see if I'd be interested in doing some work with the team, um, which I did on a part-time basis for about a year and then before coming on full-time. And so what's your interaction with the team? Because, you know, yeah. I, I feel like you probably wear multiple hats. It seems and, like a lot of people do. Yeah. But what yeah. would you say, like your like design is for in terms of like helping the team manage type sure. one. Is that really your goal? Are you there to like help the team manage type one and, you know, yeah. throughout these races? I would say that that's a big part of my, my, my role. Um, I, we have, the team has a development team that lives here um, in Atlanta for about six to seven months. Um, they train and race here in the Metro area. So, I feel like I kind of raised those guys up once they um, come from, we've had a junior team of guys who live at home and they are on CGM and manage their glucose and kind of report, they report to us from wherever they live. But then a percentage of those guys, a small number, then are invited to join our development team that's here. And so these guys are the ones that I really feel like I have the most contact with um, in terms of looking at their you know, their diabetes data, um, talk with them about nutrition, um, their training, how they're managing and adjusting their insulin around exercise. So really work with them on a personal level um, and help them to evolve in terms of managing um, diabetes and fueling and all those things that it takes to be successful in, in racing. Um, and then as they move up to the pro team, I, I also have interaction with the pro team. Um, but, um, in today's world where everything is more, um, cloud-based in terms of data, um, we can, we can have them send their data, their Dexcom data and see it, um, for, from wherever they might be around the globe. How many patients do you have? Like, do you do any work outside of team Nova Nordisk anymore? Uh, nope. It pretty much absorbs all of, <laughs> all of my time. Uh, so you live and breathe. Um, yeah. This so, uh, yes. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's, it's helping the writers out. Um, you know, there, there are 
so a lot of the focus is diabetes and nutrition, but on the exercise physiology side, I'm also there, um, especially with our development team at races and um, supporting them um, at feed zones or, you know, if they crash, which we don't like to see that happen, but everybody yeah. knows it happens in cycling, you know, cleaning up road rash and doing all of those things to, to keep them healthy and well and, and, and racing. So I don't know if you're allowed to do this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Yeah. I'm a, I'm like one of the best cyclists in the world. You know, I yeah. get diagnosed with type one. Mm-hmm. I fall off the bandwagon, but all of a sudden I find team Nova Nordisk. I want to mm-hmm. jump on board. They're like, mm-hmm. heck yeah, this guy's awesome. They sit me down yep. with you. Mm-hmm. What is your first advice to me as like, you know, a, either a new type one who's mm-hmm. trying to continue to cycle or mm-hmm. a cyclist who is like been type one forever, but is like wanting mm-hmm. to step up to y'all's team. Like, how do you make somebody a pro type one diabetic? And that's not a real thing, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, how do you yeah. make them pro quality type one so that it doesn't yeah. interfere with being, you know, an elite athlete? Right. So, um, the first part about that is before telling, I like to ask a lot of questions. To yeah. Get, well, you can ask um, me any, I'll, I'm an open book. You can ask me any questions. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, first of all, it does take a complete team approach. I am not a coach. I'm not, um, uh, you know, a, a, a trained or, or a past professional cyclist. So it, it really does take a team. I'm, I'm on the medical and, um, side of things. So work really closely with the coaches to, um, you know, look at capability, um, how, how good the engine is that the athlete has, um, motivation is certainly a big part of that, but, um, once we get to know all of those things, um, looking at, um, glucose management is really important. I think, um, well, definitely being on an intensive insulin management program, either a pump or multiple daily injections is pretty essential. Um, you know, use of technology, getting a handle on that, um, especially with um, knowing, um, being committed to using CGM in, a, in addition to glucose monitoring. And then, um, you know, being uh, willing and able to accept that there are rigors in terms of uh, discipline around nutrition that any cyclist has to um, really adhere to. So, um, you know, th- th- there are a lot of things um, that we want to understand at a baseline and then um, help um, a rider to finesse and um, evolve over time. This, you guys probably don't have riders that aren't on a CGM, do you? No, all of our riders are, are using CGM. Like, not uh, like a requirement. It just so happens that they do. Well, um, so the, the team has enabled CGM use. Um, all of our riders have been on um, Dexcom CGMs. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we just have a, we, we almost feel blinded. Um, and I think many of our riders feel blinded to how their glucose is doing after you have access to the technology. Yeah. Um, it's like stepping yeah. back into the dark it's like after, stepping, you know, yeah, living in the yeah, light. Yeah, a bit. Um, we prefer if riders use um, CGM. Um, of course, we can't force it. But, yeah. And then um, what about like yeah. the the pump MDI? 
uh-huh. you know, that argument will live on until right. type one diabetes is cured. Yeah. Yeah, but is there is. like, does the team have recommendations or do y'all care? I mean, in terms of uh, management, both are successful if you do it, right? Yes. So both do y'all care? If you, well, that's kind of the approach we take that both are successful if you do it right. Um, so, um, you know, we believe that, um, you know, strategies for glucose management as well as they're well done certainly have to be, um, an individual and a personal choice. So if I'm a brand new athlete and we'll use Dexcom, we're not saying that, you know, Dexcom is like yeah. the official sponsor of team Nova Nordisk. I'll edit that later. Yeah, no. I, I can edit this out later if you want, but yeah. uh, <laughs> my question yeah. is, so you sit down, what do you want to know about? Like, like, what do you look at my Dexcom data to determine if I've been successful in terms of the eyes of the team? You okay. know what I mean? Like if you compare yeah. me to the, all the other athletes and I, I hate to compare people's yeah. diabetes to one another, yeah. but if you look at it at a performance standpoint, like what do you mm-hmm. want to see in my Dexcom data mm-hmm. in order to make sure that, you know, all these other ducks are in a row in order for yeah. the race? Yeah. Yep. So, um, we look at average sensor glucose, um, and the team really has kind of set a goal as, as a benchmark of having, um, over a, a week or two weeks time, an average sensor glucose of 135 um, milligrams per deciliter. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, of course, paying a lot more t- attention to glucose variability um, and standard deviation. Um, so, um, yeah, so like time, time and range. Time and range. Yeah. yeah. So we, we like to have about 55% of glucose readings in. Um, an 80 to 160 milligram per deciliter range. Um, okay. Yeah. So mindset, to, mindset 80 to 170. So I've already got to okay. drop my. Yeah, so, I've already yeah, got to yeah. drop my oh, high. Okay. So you're like tightening it up a little I mean? bit there. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's it, the reason for that is it's helpful to have benchmarks, right? And oh, yeah. a goal to aim for, um, and then um, you know, looking at downloads, it's it's very possible to you know, pick out those patterns and look at areas where, um, numbers are, are out of range and, um, consider strategies that will help, um, feasibly get them back closer to, closer to range. What do you think, what like, what are the types of things that you think type one athletes do differently than regular type ones when it comes to like glucose control? Mm-hmm. At least specifically for the team. Cause I, I'd imagine yeah. you guys have a lot of like coming from, just general mm-hmm. diabetes education in the background. Yeah. I'm sure you mm-hmm. say things way differently to an elite athlete than you say it to like a regular Joe. Yeah, I probably. I would guess so. I probably one of the big, biggest differences is, um, you know, our athletes learn to be nimble with their um, insulin and to both anticipate ahead um, what their exercise day looks like and then retrospectively look at the amount of work they've they've done um, in terms of adjusting basal insulins um, um, upward or downward based on you know exercise to prevent um, lows particularly overnight Um, and then also um, you know learning how to you know, correct for highs strategically and not overcorrect. Yeah. Um, and to to also be nimble with mealtime insulin and figure out, okay, um, what do I see going on with my Dexcom? Um, 
Do I need to increase my bolus? Do I need to reduce it based on what I'm seeing on my, you know, my Dexcom, what my blood glucose meter says, and what I've just done in terms of exercise or what I'm anticipating doing. Do you guys so, like empower, like empower yeah. athletes to kind of take control of their own sure. like insulin, specific yeah. insulin management? Cause I, I think back yeah. to my diabetes educator, right when I got diagnosed yeah. and yeah. she gave me her, her cell phone number, which was probably right. a mistake because I messaged her all the time. All the time. And I was like, Oh, well, you know, I'm, I've been really high the past 24 hours. Like, do you think it's okay yeah. if I lower my basal rate a little bit? You yeah. know what I mean? And so yeah, yeah. I eventually learned like, well, I'm a big boy. I should just be doing this on my own. But yeah. the more yeah. I get in like the online community of type one, the more I see that yeah. there, there are certain people that still, I think are hesitant to like take control yeah. of their own insulin management and just yeah. swing it wherever they need to in order to stay in range right. for that week. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So is there like I, advice I would, that the team had? I know that y'all don't give advice, but what yeah, do you think? So, like, what's like the just the regular diabetes educator and you say about that for athletes, not necessarily team Nova Nordis athletes, but just athletes in general. For any athletes, yes. Yeah. So my advice is to work closely with your with your diabetes team um, if you're not confident um, in um, in making um, self adjustments and if it's an emerging skill for you. Uh, but eventually, um, you know, you learn and, um, and should feel confident in your own ability to um, self-manage um, in terms of making those, those you know, fine-tuned insulin adjustments. Um, at, at times, maybe things will get confusing, and um, that's when it's always good to you know, be in touch with your diabetes educator about questions you might have or something um, is going on that you can't quite figure out that maybe it's, it's good to just kind of talk through. So here's an and issue I'm having, and you could help me yeah. out with this. And I, I know a lot of runners have this issue. Um, yeah. I'm sure cyclists do too, cause they get injured, but yeah. so I had a big mileage, like the week before last, I had a big mileage week and then, yep. I get injured at the end of that week. Well, I go mm. to take a day off and then on my day off, actually, I got injured. Um, and, and so now I've been like a week and a half without running. Right. And my sugars, and are just, yeah, my sugars are like ridiculous now. It's like, yeah, when I'm, when I'm in those high mileage weeks or even like just regular mileage yeah. weeks for runs, super mm-hmm. predictable blood sugars. But the moment right. I stop, like it's not even yeah. a straight, it's not even a simple formula. I can't just be like, oh, well, I'm not going to run this week. I'll just increase it. I'll, I'll increase everything by 30%. Yeah. It doesn't work. It's all over the place. Right. Yeah. So you how kind can, of have to like how can you help me? <laughs> so you kind of you, you have to do a lot of monitoring and it, it's I know it's not a good feeling but you know slowly and carefully increase basal insulin and mm. um, be ready to do a little bit more correction and See, um, I just swung for the fences. I just said, "Okay, yeah. you're going to be high all day? All right. Well, I'm going to add six units tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Not that people should do that, but I, yeah, I, yeah. I know that it's okay for me. So like, I think yeah. I went from like two weeks ago, I was taking like 15 units of Lantus mm-hmm. a day. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. I'm up to like 20, 21. Cause just cause okay. I haven't been running, I have to swim, but yeah. I can't get nearly as good as a workout in this pool. Cause yeah, I'm so yeah, slow. Yeah. Um, Can you do weights and other things? I do weights all the time too. But what's yeah. funny is that when I built my insulin regiment, I was yeah. doing weights and stuff all the time anyway. And so, yeah. I almost have to keep doing that in order just to right. maintain that same regimen. Sure, I don't know sure. what would happen if I just took like a complete exercise vacation for two weeks. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think I don't, it feels very good. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think I would just I would just be riding high all day, I'm sure. Yeah. It's tough, but the one thing you just said is that you didn't like increase your um insulin by, you know, one or two units systematically. Increasing it, you just went for six units, but swung for the fences. And it, it worked, but only because I fences, knew. But, yeah. but but you said you knew. So yeah. that's where you're making an informed decision about. Yeah about you and what happens when you're um, having to, you know, cut way back on the amount of running you're doing all of a sudden. So I've been wondering this lately only because I'm at like a point in my career where I'm thinking about, you know, stepping into some new fields, Mm -hmm. but I'm type one. So it's like, I would be kind of interested in being like a diabetes educator. I think it'd be really rewarding and fulfilling, but do you ever feel like it's just too much of your life if if you were also type one? Like you're you're not type one, right? No, I'm not type one. Yeah. Um, and so, do you think like for a type one, do you think it would be too much? Because I, I could imagine being type one and maybe being an endo, you kind of get to yeah. dabble in other areas. But if like you're just yeah. a diabetes educator and you're type one, do you think it would be too much? Too much type one, like. You go home, you got to think about diabetes, you go to work, you're having to think about diabetes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're thinking about it all the time. Do you ever I, feel, you know, do you ever feel overwhelmed well, with, with all of the diabetes hmm. management? You know, I've, I've, I've heard some diabetes, you know, individuals with diabetes say that who were considering diabetes education um, and just say, no, 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 no. It would just be like just too much. And then, I, but there are so many diabetes educators who, who do have, um, diabetes or they have children or family members who have diabetes. So it is just, um, you know, a constant part of life. I think the advantage that, you know, educators who have, um, type one have is this amount of empathy, um, and real life experience with diabetes that those of us who don't have diabetes as educators just can't possibly have. Yeah. Have you um, ever worn a have you ever worn a CGM to try? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it's great. Yeah, oh, you gotta tell me about and that. Actually, yeah. So you know, I actually um my glucose isn't perfect, and that's what most people find out. No. Um so I'm super and, interested. I would love to see a graph of a non diabetic wearing a yeah. Dexcom all day. Yeah. Because I, I, to be honest, I, I think I don't look into it because I don't want to make myself right. feel bad. But I, mm-hmm. I'm almost curious as to like a normal person when they eat a brownie and ice yeah. cream. I don't even what is I don't even know what, what their happened? blood sugar gets up to before yeah. their insulin yeah. like cracks yeah. it. So um, yeah, it, for people who don't have diabetes, um, glucose can go a lot higher in that post meal time than um, you would suspect. Um, I know of one educator who was talking about she, she, she was wearing one and, um, she had a, she was at a conference, so it was kind of a wine and dine bigger meal than usual. Mm -hmm. And her CGM was showing that her, her glucose was like one, I don't know, say 140 something. It was way above anything that she would have suspected. Um, but then walking back to her hotel, it, it, came back down okay yeah so i now, do feel it, bad it, about myself because yeah. i thought you were gonna say like 200 <laughs> no yeah but it was all of us type ones are out there like oh yeah, are they gonna totally. are they gonna show a red you know dexcom yeah, meter I no know. you know 150 in, yeah in my case 
I have a bad habit of getting really busy like, mm-hmm. and not eating for a long time. And in the afternoons, sometimes I would be feeling like really foggy headed and out of it. And I had no, I didn't really think about why. But when I wore the CGM, it was alarming all the time because I was truly like hypoglycemic. And so it did help me to establish like, don't wait to eat lunch until three in the afternoon. You need to be on a better schedule so that you're not um, foggy headed because you're truly hypoglycemic. And so it helped me to kind of straighten out my, my eating patterns where I was developing some habits that weren't probably best for me. What's the highest you think you saw? Yeah. What's What's the highest? Yeah. I think I saw. Hmm, I wore this a few years ago. I think it was like one, I can't say for sure. It was like, I think I got somewhere like in one of those big meal situations where you're like sitting around afterwards, like 150 something. Okay. Yeah. That's actually, before we started this conversation, that's higher than I would have thought a non-type one would have gone. But Uh halfway through our conversation, I thought you were going to say 200. So I'm still disappointed, Mm -hmm. but I'm actually not. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, um, yeah, so there was more variability on both sides. Um, but yeah. it did help me to kind of say self diagnose the, the side of being foggy headed cause I was in a hypoglycemia range. So you mentioned that you go low. It's funny that a non type one, assuming they don't have any sort of other like, you know, right. hormone imbalance or other issues. Right. It seems odd that you would go low because it seems like your your pancreas would shut off insulin production and your liver would be able to detect your blood sugar levels and right. secrete just enough glycogen yeah. to keep you in range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For instance, um, like all the people, like keto is really, and you're big into yeah. nutrition, so keto is like yeah. super hot right now. Yeah, Everyone and their mom's like, you know, buying yeah. like ketogenic mm-hmm. books. Yeah, yeah. And theoretically – you know, you, you don't necessarily have to eat any carbohydrates throughout the day. I mean, I shouldn't say that because you, you do have to eat like you're even on that diet, you're supposed to eat like a bunch of vegetables. So you'd still be getting carbs, but yeah, theoretically you shouldn't be going low on like an extremely low carb or no carb diet. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I think in my case, if I can recall or just, you know, knowing my tendencies of what I can do, um, I probably exercise and I wasn't on low carb and then I just didn't eat for a really long time. Yeah. And yeah, so I was, um, you know, had more insulin, you know, I was just hypoglycemic. I was low. So my hormonal balance, like the glucagon insulin ratio was more toward insulin and, or, you know, maybe I just had depleted glycogen in my liver. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah. What's your stance on the, the keto versus high carb debate? And you don't yeah, have to, you don't necessarily have to get well, into the team yeah, mode Nordis I mean, reference. I, yeah. I would imagine, and you don't even have to confirm or deny this. I would yeah. imagine they probably eat like a moderate to a high carb diet, depending um, on writers? when they, depending yeah, on when they yeah. perform. But yeah, what's your yeah. stance on like the keto thing for type ones, well, especially um, keto athletes that are type yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. So um, I I know a lot of the crossfitters are are doing keto. I you know for type one 
there are a few concerns um, in for exercising. First of all, can ketones get too high so that you're truly acidotic to a dangerous level? Um, that's one concern, especially when when um, riders are really exercising. Um, you know, the, the argument is that then you become a better fat burner and you don't really need, you know, glucose and glycogen for fueling. Mm -hmm. But at the high intensity that our riders um, compete, um, that's just not going to cut it. Um, we need to be more careful about making sure they get enough um, carbohydrates um, across the day to, to really fuel well. Yeah. Do they track their carbs or do they just eat to hunger? Um, well, they generally eat to hunger. We, we certainly do training around carbohydrates and we talk about, well, what kind of day is it? Are you doing a long training or, you know, really, um, uh, you know, long road race or, you know, is it a recovery day? Because the amount of food and the amount of carbohydrates somebody needs is different on those very different days. So that that's what we strategically work with in terms of, you know, somewhat of carbohydrate manipulation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're there may be times where they may choose to eat lower carbohydrate meals and match those lower amounts of carbohydrate with less insulin. Um, but overall, across the day, we want to make sure that they're getting the right amount of carbohydrate for the amount of training or competition that they're doing. Yeah. Do you guys have like any open sponsor brands that you guys use for nutrition, like for in race? Um, no, um, not really sponsor. We do use noon for, um, for hydration. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, but, um, you know, we use a bunch of, of products, um, when they're riding and racing, um, but overall, you know, talk about, you know, healthful eating, using real food and um, healthy foods the rest of the time. Um, the other thing I just want to mention about keto diet that um, I haven't really talked about is, oh, yeah. you know, it's uh, for, for people with diabetes and type 1, the other concern in addition to, you know, having high ketones and being acidotic is, if you did develop hypoglycemia and your liver is glycogen depleted and overall you're in a glycogen depleted state um, and you did become hypoglycemic, how effective is treatment going to be? Whether that's treating with carbohydrate or worst case needing to use glucagon. Well, it seems like, like if you were low on keto and you drank a Gatorade, it seems like your blood sugar mm -hmm. would rocket, right? Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Um, but then if your overall, your glycogen is depleted um, and liver isn't responding really well to because it's depleted, it may be harder to bring um, glucose up. So it's kind of an untested water, but um, uncertain, um, but certainly want to be cautious, be aware of the potential hazards. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get hate mail from like five ketogenic cyclist somewhere in the world but well i probably it, will hear from them too no but, it's fine you know, i'll be excited just, when they email yeah, me I mean, i'll be like oh well you know talk to me about how it works for you kind of your experience 
that actually has led yeah. to a lot so, of kind of new and enlightenment yeah. for me as a type one and just someone yeah. who's interested in fitness about like yeah. how everyone manages it so yeah. differently. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying no, because I think that there, everyone has to um, figure out their own best management um, within their own, you know, interest of health and well-being. Um, but at the same time, we have to talk about those things that are potential, um, you know, potentially could could have a negative effect um, along with the benefits what are what's what do we have to be aware of? Yeah. What do you think is the the best part about getting to work for Team Nova Nordisk? Because I feel like about, a lot of people, other than some of the interviews I've done, so I've interviewed, um, I haven't actually interviewed anyone from the cycling team. I'd like to. Okay. Yeah. But okay. yeah, if you want to hook me up with a recommendation, that'd be great. But okay. I've interviewed some of the runners. Yeah. And so far, mm-hmm. there's not a lot. There's some videos online, and yeah, you know, there's a couple of interviews with with Phil out there, but there's mm-hmm. not a lot of inside knowledge about team Nova Nordisk. And maybe that's by design. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't want to, you know, poke the bull too much, but I'm just kind of mm-hmm. curious as to what it's like, you know, working for such an elite team, like getting to uh-huh. work with an all pro cycling yeah, team. That's cycling type one. Team. You know, it's just super yeah. interesting to, for some reason I find it super interesting. Maybe other people don't, but I'd mm-hmm. imagine if people are listening to this show, it's because they're interested in yeah. athletics yep. and type one. And what's mm-hmm. that, what's that, you know, experience like for you? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I really, um, can't think of anything I would enjoy doing more being that, um, you know, I'm kind of a, uh, well, I'm, I'm into sports and I'm into diabetes. And so, um, it's really, um, a wonderful opportunity to, um, work with some really inspirational athletes with type one diabetes. I, um, you know, it's, it's great to see these riders, um, in my situation come into the team, maybe they're 15 to 18 years old in the junior team. And then they, um, develop as athletes in the development team and finally move up to the, the pro team and to see their evolution in terms of, um, they're developing skills um, on the bike and skills as cyclists, but also developing life skills and diabetes management skills that enable them to be successful is um, in um, is really wonderful. Um, the other part is that um, this team is true inspiration um, in terms of the message of what's possible with diabetes, and um, so that that's a wonderful message, um, that, that we're getting out to the world. Um, I've always been pretty involved in advocacy and there are lots of ways to, ways to advocacy, to be an advocate, but the voice that the team has collectively is, is also, um, a really important part of the job. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think you're starting to see a little bit more behind the scenes, um, on Twitter, Mm-hmm. You'll see that that some of the riders are sharing their glucose data, um, or you know, a shot of what happened with their glucose on their Dexcoms during racing. Yeah. It, um, what's funny so, is that I've I've kind of danced around some of those questions in the past with some okay. of y'all that y'all's athletes, yeah. only mm-hmm. because you know I don't think any organization wants to kind of openly distribute like personal no, diabetes uh-uh. management data, and they also don't want to stray yeah. anyone away from getting advice from their doctor. Right. However. 
people love it. People love learning yeah. and experiencing other people's diabetes yeah. so that mm-hmm. they can learn more about their own diabetes. Like it's like right. a, it's like a give yeah. and take, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's yeah. awesome that you guys have yeah. done that and it's kind of started to lean towards that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so um, you, know, you know, it's really, it, it's a, it's a multidimensional job and most of us are multitasking. Um, but um, I would say that everyone is so, passionate about diabetes and about cycling and about the the mission of the team um that it's really a fun uh, team of people to work with um of course especially during racing season it's it's a really fast-paced job um so it's it's definitely not a nine-to-five job what's your recommendation to someone out there who wants to either run or race and you know, just got diagnosed with type one or mm-hmm. has been type one for a while and they're sitting in front of you for the first time and you're their, yeah. you know, certified diabetes educator. Right. What do you say to that person? Yeah. So, um, just, um, set goals and, um, don't think that this is going to stop you from, um, being the athlete at whatever level you want to be. Um, it does take um, a bit more work and effort, but you know if you're if you're monitoring your glucose and you're learning to make adjustments um, and you're really paying attention, you can finesse those skills just like you do any um, skill that's that's part of your sport. Um, you know you can think about that glucose data, for example, if you're on a Dexcom, that's kind of a window that, um, you know, when we were talking about my experience wearing a Dexcom, I'm blinded to that information. And so um, in a way, that information is, is really helpful. And you can um, be aware of, you know, what is stress doing to your body? What, what are you seeing happen in your glucose? Or what is travel across time zones doing to your um, body and how is that reflecting in your glucose and how is one type of exercise versus another versus a more active day versus a less active day um, impacting your body. And that's all reflected in your glucose. And um, so it's kind of a window into your physiology. And if you learn to eat um, and pay attention to fueling and you learn to, you know, think like a, pan- a pancreas and, um, you know, finesse your insulin management really well and the tools are more and more available, um, you can do these things. You it's, can be successful as an athlete. It's funny you mention all the variables that can affect blood sugar. I think Dr. Mm-hmm. Sherry Kohlberg was on the, uh, uh-huh. on the podcast a few episodes back and she pointed out that there's, you know, like five or six different hormones that can raise your blood sugar and there's only one that can bring it down. And so mm-hmm. yeah. I had mm-hmm. never thought about yep. that. And I thought that was yeah. super cool. Like, oh, that yeah. makes, that makes yep. a lot of sense as to why my life is significantly harder than it used to be. <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah. whatever. Thank you so much, yeah. uh, Charlotte for coming on the show. That's a perfect place to end it. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome.
Hey guys, so that wraps up today's show. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. It's an incredible way to get fresh episodes delivered straight to your phone every week. If you think you or anyone you know would be a perfect interviewee for the show, make sure to reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at type one run podcast or at type one run.org slash podcast. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Train hard, train happy, and leave no ones behind.